And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hi there, welcome to day four of the Qatar World Cup. The morning after, the day before, which turned into a news cascade from the shock of Messi's Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia to Cristiano Ronaldo and Manchester United parting ways and then the club confirming the Glazer family are open to offers. Then, just for good measure, that ankle injury to Harry Kane, yes, it needs a scan as England, a nation waits for news on their talisman. We'll pick it all apart. I'm Adam Leventhal and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. It's perhaps fitting, after all the fighting between Manchester United and Cristiano Ronaldo, that I am now stood outside a huge fort-like building with two huge castle turrets in front of me, two huge great arches and then a really long drive which goes on for a few hundred feet before you actually reach the hotel in which the Portugal team are staying, including their star name, Cristiano Ronaldo. It was during the third game of day three between Mexico and Poland that the news broke that Manchester United and Cristiano Ronaldo were going to be parting ways. It was called mutual and they wished him well for the future and they wished his family well for the future but they made a very very pointed remark in that third paragraph about working together under Eric Ten Hag in the future. I'm here with a few other journalists, one from Portugal, who you will be hearing from very, very shortly. But meanwhile, at the France against Australia game, Laura Williamson, David Ornstein and Adam Crafton are reacting to the news as it happens. Thanks, Adam. We're here at the Al Janoub Stadium waiting to see how France get on against Australia this evening. And on our way to the ground... The news breaks that Cristiano Ronaldo has left Manchester United. I'm here with David Ornstein and Adam Crafton to dissect what's happening. Well, it's enormous news in the football world. I don't think it's a massive surprise that it's happened because everybody we speak to around that situation uh, was anticipating it. You can't do an interview of the nature and the sort of the dynamite that, that, that he brought to that um, conversation with Piers Morgan and expect to ever set foot in Old Trafford or Carrington again. And he knew that. He would have gone into that interview knowing that it was game over for his time at the club. And people I speak to say that that's what he would have wanted, this outcome. Once he did it, Manchester United uh, wouldn't have wanted him to be there ever again. Um, and so it was about when, not if, and... The when has taken me by surprise a little bit. Uh, just before leaving for the ground, I started to get a sense from a number of contacts that an agreement was close. And that in recent days, after Laurie Whitwell reported on The Athletic that United were starting to work on a potential termination, it really stepped up and developed rapidly to the point 
that I think from Ronaldo's perspective, he wanted this done and dusted before the first Portugal game at the World Cup. They played Ghana on Thursday and they've actually man managed to do it a couple of days early. So it's got massive ramifications, not only for Ronaldo and his career, for Manchester United and their season, uh, but United are now a man down in attack. So they're going to need to go into the January transfer window and presumably buy someone. I just think it's like everything with Ronaldo, pretty earth shattering and it's quite stunning tonight as we stand here waiting to watch a match that Ronaldo and United are over. And dominating the conversation yet again. <laughs> Adam, what do you make of the way United have handled this? Because it came as a surprise to them, the interview on that Sunday night, and then it was drip-fred, you know, line after line after line. They've kept their counsel, and then this has come relatively out of the blue. What have you made of it? I think they, they had to wait a little bit because of the drip-fed nature of the interview. So they had to wait from the Sunday almost until Friday, just to know everything that Cristiano Ronaldo was going to say, and also whether any contrition might come later on in the interview or anything like that, or more of an idea around building bridges with the club. Clearly that didn't come. Um, you know, I think now the extraordinary thing is, arguably the most famous footballer in the world is unattached playing at a World Cup. I mean, I don't think that's ever happened before, that you would have a player of that profile. And look, I mean, I think in that interview, he said there'd been a huge amount of interest in him. There's clubs lining up to buy him. And Do you think that's true? It's not what we heard during the summer, you know, that people wanted to pay what he wanted, you know, to compete in the Champions League. We know there was interest from the Middle East and Saudi Arabia, that he wasn't prepared to go there. He wanted to play in the Champions League. He's obsessed with this goals record where Messi's ahead of him in the Champions League. But I think, for now, we, we really don't know. And it's going to be really interesting. Have, has someone else been telling him that there's interest? You know, has an agent or intermediary been suggesting there's a greater interest than, than there is? Is that, is that interest greater than perhaps clubs have said to us while he was at United? And they'll now take that on. Is he prepared to change what you know, we would consider his demands? I mean, his wage at United, over £400,000 a week, was extraordinary. And that's going to be the big challenge. And I think from a Manchester United fan perspective, you're wondering who's going to play up front for the rest of the season. Definitely. And we knew about Ronaldo's ego. We knew what it was like. But do you think the way he's gone about engineering his exit from Manchester United has dented that image even more? I think in the present moment, yeah. I think time with all these things tends to be a great healer. You know, look at the way Roy Keane left Manchester United and some of the things that he said about Alex Ferguson over the years. David I think Beckham. David Beckham, the way he left the club, Ruud van Nistelrooy. I know this is... Yep, this is Stan. A, yep, Stan, right? And eventually, a lot of them end up coming back as Man United legends to play in charity games and want to use the image of Manchester United after the career. Look, I'm sure Manchester United, when they re-signed Cristiano Ronaldo, would have been thinking, as soon as he retires, we can really use his image and cash in on that commercially in the, in the years that follow his retirement. I think that's probably now a very difficult conversation. But I do think as time passes, both the fan base and also the, the club itself will... I think that relationship will probably repair itself. I think it is a moment in time more than irreparable. And just finally, you know, Ten Hag, new manager, he didn't sign him. He hadn't been using him. He made it quite clear where he stood in the pecking order. This is actually a really good outcome for him, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I think Eric Ten Hag 
tried when they met in March, April time after he left Ajax and began at United straight away uh, and had a meet- meeting with Cristiano Ronaldo to integrate him and they were going to go forward together. Something changed over that summer. We don't quite know exactly what, but he had some personal issues that meant he returned late for preseason training. And from then on, it was a downward spiral. He was integrated late. He was not a key part of Ten Hag's plans. United played better without him. He became more readily used in the Europa League, a Premier League substitute. He had already left Old Trafford early without permission just after half-time, which set a negative tone. He did it again by refusing to come on as a substitute in the more recent match against Tottenham. He was left out of the squad that faced Chelsea. He trained on his own for a period of time. So (laughs) this was snowballing and all culminating in what we have heard tonight. But Eric Ten Hag has, in my view, managed it as well as he could have. He's been very professional. He's been very dignified publicly, certainly. He hasn't lost any credit. In fact, he's probably gained a lot with the Manchester United fans and the wider footballing public. And by the end, it would have been what he would have wanted. And he he has now achieved that. It would have been what Cristiano Ronaldo wanted. I think Ten Hag now is clearly the man that United are backing to lead them forward. He's been given authority, it would seem, in this situation. Although I do think that the likes of Richard Arnold as chief executive and the Glazers as owners were heavily involved in this. John Murtagh as football director would have had a role. I'm fascinated to see who United now look to sign. I'm fascinated to see how they try and rebuild their attack and around whom. But I don't want to take anything away from Ronaldo. We just, must all recognise his greatness. Just imagine being Bruno Fernandes tonight at that oh. Portugal training ground, right? Like you're going into training... Seeing Cristiano was your teammate an hour ago, he's not your teammate now. What's the dynamic of that relationship over the next few weeks? I do think the dynamics of how that dressing room unravels this will be really, really interesting. He'll get a move as a free agent, maybe to a Champions League club after all, because there won't be a transfer fee. He could amend his salary to make sure he gets that one last dance at the top table of European football. And if it doesn't work out, then there will be offers from the MLS, there will be... um, the likes of Saudi Arabia again and I don't think with all he's achieved in the game that we can bet against him not having the last laugh but going out on a high and he says he wants to play for three more years until he's 40 and within that time it wouldn't surprise me if he notched up a few more records he collected a few more pieces of silverware and Manchester United actually go on a better path without him. So that was the Athletics, Laura Williamson, David Ornstein and Adam Crafton. As I mentioned, I was at the Portugal team hotel last night and I bumped into Cristina Cardosa from CNN Portugal to just gauge her reaction on the timing and the magnitude of the news. Cristiano Ronaldo has, has trumped Lionel Messi again with the, big, <laughs> with the big news on day three of the World Cup. Your reaction to this news that it, that it has come, breaking point has come between Manchester United and Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, the timing is uh, questionable because uh, Portugal will um, debut in this World Cup uh, on tu- Thursday. So I think it's uh, the timing isn't perfect, but it was um, it was expected because when uh, Cristiano did that interview, it was um, a point with no return. I think with the Manchester United. So um, I-, I was expecting this. 
Um, I think that's why Cristiano uh, spoke uh, in the press conference yesterday. It was planned and was a strategic move um, because um, now he's free to go. He doesn't have to talk anymore in the next few weeks. Um, so, yeah, I, I was expecting this not um, two days before um, the debut of the Portuguese national team on the World Cup. So that's the journalistic view in Portugal. What about those fans that are here in Qatar? Abby Patterson spoke to them. Have you seen the news that Ronaldo has left Manchester United? Yes. What do you are. think? We are happy as long as he's happy. So if he's happy leaving Manchester United, we support him. Does it annoy you that it's happened in the World Cup just before your first match? Yeah, the timings are not the best and I hope that it doesn't affect the performance of Portugal national team. I think it won't because he will be focused and the team will be focused to win. So you heard there Portuguese fans speaking to Abby Patterson. In a moment, we'll talk to Matt Slater about the prospect of the Glazers selling Manchester United, that amazing Saudi victory over Argentina and what it means for Messi. But let's quickly deal with the big news about Harry Kane. It was a story that was broken by the Athletics' David Ornstein that he needed a scan on that ankle injury picked up against Iran. So to the what if... England writer Jack Pitbrook contemplates how England would deal with a World Cup without Kane. We don't know what the result of the scan is going to be at this point. We don't know if he will be able to play against the USA on Friday night. If he is not able to play, and I'm sure that they will do everything possible to get Kane onto the field, it does leave the question who would play in his place. You know, England don't really have anyone like Kane who can replace him. I think there's two possible options in this scenario. One would be Callum Wilson, who plays as a number nine. He came on in the second half against Iran. He set up Jack Grealish's goal. He actually wasn't involved in the training session for the players who didn't start the game uh, at Al-Wakra yesterday. The FA said that he was doing his own specific programme for the day. So it remains to be seen if he's 100% fit. The other option would be Marcus Rashford. Rashford's flown a bit under the radar, coming back into the England squad for the first time for a while to play in this World Cup but he scored against Iran that was his first tournament goal even though this is his fourth major tournament and I think there's a you know a lot of people would be really looking forward to seeing if Rashford could play as a number nine for England generally we've seen him play from the left that's where he's been used most often because Kane has generally played as the number nine but I think it would probably come down to a straight choice between Rashford and Wilson to play as a number nine if Kane's not able to play against the USA This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
seismic upset in World Cup history. One of the greatest. It was not Messi's day. Even though Messi put Argentina in front, it wasn't enough. Saudi Arabia came out of the second half, caught them cold, scored twice, and the atmosphere was incredible. You know, we all know that thousands of Saudis have crossed the border into Qatar to follow their team. And you got a real sense of the passion for football in this region. Messi is not Maradona. And that generation is very different because they didn't play for their country. They play for Messi. It's a huge difference. We play for our flag. Yes, we deserve it. We won. You know, I think the fans played their role today because the beginning of the second half, Saudi Arabia fans were not expecting a goal. It came. And when it did, you know, they created an atmosphere in which there was momentum for Saudi Arabia to score another one, and they did. You know, you have to credit Edvi Renard. So we made this story for the football. It will stay forever. This is the most important. You know, someone who has done giant killing before, you know, winning the African Cup of Nations with Zambia. But to do this uh, with a really brave approach, their offside line, the Saudis, was pretty much perfect. You know, I'm used to covering Italy for the Athletic and just to see some of the defenders celebrating their last gas tackles, celebrating goal line clearances. It was a real momentous day. You know, for Argentina, you know, what does it mean? 36 games unbeaten. One of the favourites for the competition, a two-time world champion. Messi's final World Cup. You know, they had warned that this might happen. They warned that it was not all going to be smooth. And I suppose in the five minutes in which they lost control, you know, that was the test of their mettle that they failed. But I don't think it necessarily you know, means we should start writing off Argentina. Um, yeah, it is going to be pretty tough now that they've got Poland and Mexico next. But you know, when you go back through history and you look at 1990, they lose to Cameroon on the opening day at San Siro and they still come back to reach the final. You know, maybe they can do that again this time around. But yeah, their players didn't look 100% today. You know, that's a mitigating factor. Um, you know, Argentina still created enough chances to win the game. You see they'll, they had XG higher than Saudi Arabia. But the likes of Christian Romero, Leandro Paredes, Angel Di Maria, they've all been coming back from injury. They all haven't really played that much. And that rustiness, I think, showed a little bit. And that's why one of the greatest shocks in World Cup history happened. The Athletics' James Horncastle there following Saudi Arabia's shock 2-1 win over one of the favourites at this World Cup, Argentina. Alongside me now to talk about that and plenty more besides is Matt Slater, who enjoyed a very special trip to the game. Is that fair to say? It was, a, it was certainly an interesting trip. Explain all. All right, because uh, it needs explaining to me, and I, I, I did it. As you may be aware, Saudi Arabia and Qatar share a land border. Qatar's a peninsula. Uh, and uh, Saudi Arabia is to the south of Qatar. And um, they fell out. Well, they've been sort of off and on friends for hundreds of years. Um, I'm not going to do the entire history, but they fell out spectacularly in 2017. Uh, and, uh, and the border was closed, as was access to Qatar via sea and air for a while as well. And Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, UAE, a man tried to crash Qatar's economy. It was a colossal falling out. Um, but anyway, in January 2021, they made up and the border was opened again. Um, so I went down to the border to meet Saudi Arabian fans coming to the game because 
variety of reasons, really. One, one, I Saudi Arabia, they are football mad. Thirty-five million people, very young population, genuine Saudi Arabian football culture. I thought this would be. Re- I, I just sensed that this would be the first real Arab football moment, genuine, authentic football moment. And I also saw that the Qataris had come up with quite a novel, for me anyway, I thought it was novel, approach to getting them to the game. So Saudi Arabia fans were encouraged to basically do a massive park and ride from the border. So drive your cars, park up on the Saudi side, go through a massive tent that could process 4,000 fans an hour and get a shuttle. Every three minutes, massive coaches went by. I went down there and it was very smooth. I think if you were going in the right direction. I went in the wrong direction. So I arrived, got out of my taxi, walked to the border and said, I'd like to go to Doha. And they went, well, it's sort of behind you, sir. Where's your car? And I said, well, I've just let him go. What? And I want to get on a bus with those Saudi fans through the fence. At which point they thought I might be some sort of spy stroke. I don't know, Asian provocateur. Mad dogs and Englishmen. Yeah. It was quite hot at this point. There's not a lot great. There's not much going on at the border. There's a big fence. So I was sort of kind of pointed in the direction of a roundabout, like that way, sir, um, where, I, where I stood at a roundabout for a while. Some kindly policemen took pity on me. And uh, long story short, yeah, I got on a bus and met loads of really cool young Saudi fans. What was their feeling heading into this? Because you obviously mentioned that, you know, young population really into football have a a World Cup heritage as well, providing shocks too. Were they thinking this is, a, this is a, a big, giant killing opportunity at that stage or was it just about being part of it? There's a little bit, of, I think probably more the latter, to be honest. And, and what, what came across pretty soon was, for some of them, they couldn't lose. Massive Messi fans. In fact, there were a couple at the front who told me they were cheering for Messi. Who actually are you cheering for today? Saudi and Messi. Saudi Arabia and Messi. So these guys can't lose. So what would be the perfect result? Probably 4-3. Who uh, yeah. two? Who? So Saudi Arabia, of course. Oh, okay. And Messi scored the Hatter. Hatter from Messi. That's the best. That's the best. Oh, there you heard it. 4-3 with a hat trick for Messi. What a game. What a game that would be. You know, if, and, and once we sort of got into it, with I, I sort of went up and down the bus chatting to everybody. Most of them thought Argentina was going to win. Sorry, As you yeah, would. yeah, they As were, you would. Sorry, and, but they were sort of hoping that Saudi would put on a good show. You know, last time, 2018, they lost their their first game five 0 to Russia. There was certainly an eight 0 defeat. Was it a couple, two, three World Cups ago? I think they were a bit nervous, but equally they were really, really excited. They they thought, well, this is as good as well, this is. It felt like a home game, right? 50-50 in the stadium. I think it was 40,000, 35,000 Saudi fans. And they, um, they all love Messi. They just wanted to see Messi play. So it was, it was like I said, I felt that some of them couldn't lose. And it was the best of both worlds. They saw Messi. He scored. But they scored too. The, the atmosphere in the stadium and at the end, you know, amongst those fans that you'd sort of, you'd built up a, Almost like a, a, rapport, brother, yeah, a brotherhood yeah, yeah, relationship yeah, yeah, yeah. with. Yeah. You must have been proud of the, the Saudis yesterday, were you? Well, I was a bit, yeah. You know, you sort of get swept along because it, it just it felt like a very real football experience. On the bus, there were guys telling the bus driver to speed up because we'd been overtaken by five or six other shuttle buses. One guy was down the front giving him a driving lesson, saying, I'll drive. And I was thinking, I've been on this bus before. And then it was to the metro. 
and um, there was a sort of like another sort of 45 minute bit there. Then they were in the queue and just you know, the, the build, the anticipation that I want to get in there that I think is universal. And it just felt like one of those sort of, yeah, this is, this is, this is a universal football language that everyone understands. You can read more about that journey on The Athletic. You can also read on The Athletic about the other side of the story. I think I mentioned it yesterday on our live show on our social media platforms that it always seems there's two sides to the story at this World Cup. The good, the bad, maybe the ugly, maybe there's three. In terms of Saudi Arabia and their relationship with Lionel Messi, it's not necessarily just fandom. It's an official commercial relationship, as Adam Crafton wrote about, between the Argentine and the nation all linked in with bidding for the 2030 World Cup. What's your sort of take on it, your, your feel for it? Is it something that we should just go, well, that's, that's fair enough, or is it something a little bit more sinister? Now that I've realised just how popular he is, and it, and it really is him, because I was asking, who else do you like? Mbappe, Ronaldo? You know, some of them. There were some Real Madrid fans there. Yeah, yeah well, you know, but, but it, Messi's universally popular. They love him. He's number one by far, so... That, the fact that the Saudi state have chosen him as their football ambassador is not a surprise to me. It was a good choice. Is it sinister? Well, look, this, takes, this depends on your view of, of sports washing and, and, and states, governments using sport, sporting ambassadors to project soft power, to, to polish their image, to diversify their economies. Saudi is doing an awful lot of this. You know, if you... If you if you're annoyed by Live Golf, for example, which is a far bigger investment as an attempt to take over an entire sport and also to massively build Saudi Arabia's tourism industry and pivot towards golf, etc., etc., If you're annoyed by that, then you're going to be annoyed by the messy relationship as well. Newcastle? You, yeah, quite, quite, quite. If you think, nah, you know, this is, this is what famous sports people, famous people do, right? They are used by companies, corporations, countries sometimes. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's par for the course. Then you're not going to be bothered. You're not going to be bothered. I think what is interesting is this, this potential dilemma where you have very, very famous Argentine, uh, the most famous and best Argentine football player, possibly touting for another country's bid. Because Argentina, Uruguay... You know, that's the South American bit, 2030. That's the strange thing. Right. We've dealt with, with Messi, and obviously you can read that article um, regarding his relationship with Saudi Arabia on The Athletic uh, from Adam Crafton. Now, we began today's episode with you know, Harry Kane, the events at Old Trafford, Cristiano Ronaldo, and then just to sort of chuck another grenade into the situation, the Glazers say, yeah, we're ready to step away. We're ready to... Um, sell or commence a process to explore strategic alternatives for the club. That basically means, right, we're out, show us your money, doesn't it? I think it does eventually, yes. Um, it's very interesting to me, the timing, so soon after Fenway Sports Group have done it at Liverpool. And those two ownership groups, it's, it's interesting, I've always thought it was interesting that um, Liverpool, Manchester United, of course, the fan bases and on the pitch, fierce, fierce rivalry. But, the, fan, but the, the ownership groups are pretty closely aligned. You know, we know they worked together on Project Big Picture. They were, you know, of the same mind on European Super League and so many other, and so many other things, off, off the field things to do with international uh, TV rights, streaming. And you've got FSG coming to the decision that now is a good time to test the market. 
So they, you know, that process that we reported on a few weeks ago, appointing banks, putting a prospectus out, towing the water type stuff, you know, maybe you know, that kind of speculative, put the, put the for sale sign outside your house, see what comes in through the door. And then we have the Glazers doing it a few weeks later. Now, now again, timing, it's not that long after Chelsea. Chelsea did test the market. It was a forced sale. But there you had an American takeover at a good price. And I think all the other owners have thought, right, that a benchmark's been set there. A new revenue multiple has been set there. Premier League franchises are being valued now in a clear way. There were, the beauty of the Chelsea process was not only was there a winner, there were losers. So people who want Premier League clubs and we kind of know who they are. And I think all those things have coalesced I'd throw in the fact that the European Super League looks off the table now for a while, certainly for Premier League clubs. The international sales of TV rights was very, very good. But I think people will be thinking, uh, global recession, interest rates going up. Is that, is, that, is that, if not the very top of the market, is it, is it a ceiling for a while? I think all those things. And, and the other thing I'd throw in there, which has a sort of Chelsea parallel, is Old Trafford needs a massive amount of investment huge amount of investment that will weigh on the price slightly but I think it's also a kind of from if you're an owner you're sort of thinking do I need to do that should I sell now and just sort of pass that on to the next guy well and is that in I mean ultimately having had you know a pretty long tenure the Glazers and having not bothered it does sort of suggest that they've never really been that committed in terms of improving the infrastructure as far as potential buyers I remember being on a podcast when we were talking about uh, the purchase of Liverpool and you were saying mm, it doesn't quite fit that they would be bought by a Middle East you know state or you know rich person you've obviously pointed towards the direction of of America um, Sir Jim Ratcliffe has been linked yeah. with with Manchester United in particular where's your where's your money not to, not to buy it yeah. but just to, yeah, yeah, to bet on it so look the wind in football has been blowing from the states for a while you know the the, the big sales and the medium size and small sales are north american right but just about him very very quickly mm. manchester united fans are thinking oh we've got rid of the americans yeah. the glazers i know will they not be thinking oh not not another one well in my social media mentions they are yeah and the same with liverpool it was all you know oil 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 you know dubai dubai yeah look you know i get i, I sort of get that also twitter's not representative and i and i know that's not that wasn't the, a universal view you shouldn't bite then matt no no don't 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 buy twitter god that was a dreadful purchase but um um uh, look there's some clues right the most recent takeovers ac people buying stakes chelsea um burnley there's a long list I've, I've put them in stories. Americans, they, they have appointed American banks. So Rothschilds to advise, Rain, who did the Chelsea sale, are going to run the main process. Liverpool appointed American banks, Goldman Sachs and uh, Morgan Stanley. The Chelsea shortlist, all Americans, all American syndicates, lots of private equity. That is the way. So is that almost, you know, Rain are there, they say, look, we'll sort you out. We didn't get this guy in. He could come in. Look, maybe. Look, Rain's job is to get the highest price possible. And if that means speaking to the, you know, to Bahrain, Dubai, and whoever comes out, you know, in Asia, there's a lot, full of loads of billionaires. If anyone wants to make a run at this, the thing is, it's just a very expensive purchase. You don't. It's not just a billionaire. It's sort of a multi-billionaire. They're going to want five billion US dollars for this. Four billion pounds. 
Um, and that prices a lot of people out. You don't, you don't, you don't, it, you're not talking about someone who only has that much money. You don't, put, you don't put everything on. That's not how these guys get rich. It's not how they stay rich. Which is, again, why we are sort of in this syndicate era as well. Premier League clubs are just so expensive. F, you know, FSG, syndicate of 20, 20 plus very wealthy people. So that is just my hunch. I could be wrong. The other thing is, a lot of the big sovereign wealth funds are spoken for. So Saudi's made its bet on Newcastle. Qatar's made its bet on PSG. UAE's made its bet on Manchester City. Yeah, could Dubai. But Dubai, I'm led to believe, doesn't quite have the pockets. You know, it doesn't quite have the, the, the one fund that would do it. Bahrain, Bahrain's gone big on F1. Hasn't really gone the football route yet. Kuwait hasn't, hasn't really... So it's not going to be Norway. I can assure you that they have got the biggest sovereign wealth fund in the world, by the way. Um, but they spend it on sensible things. Um, so no, I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking American syndicate again. Sorry, Man United fans. Sorry. Okay. Private equity. Well, we will see. And or Jim Ratcliffe. Or Jim Ratcliffe. The problem is, you're at the World Cup covering the World Cup. Now you've just got an extra plate to spin, just to just to throw in the mix. Uh, Matt, thank you very much. For, for coming on, as always. For the latest, the most comprehensive World Cup coverage around, including the latest on the fitness of England captain Harry Kane, obviously head to theathletic.com. You can also read uh, Rafa Honestein's interview with Jamal Musiala. Uh, Phil Buckingham has been watching Denmark in Christian Eriksen's hometown of Middelfart. Yes, that is the name. And there's, of course, the best coverage of all the latest with Ronaldo, with Manchester United, with the sale of Manchester United. And we will keep you posted on all that detail. And if you want to subscribe for £1 a month for 12 months, our best offer of the year, just simply go to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. We will be back probably with another hectic day like we have been dealing with today on the next episode from this World Cup. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.